his military uh, expertise is, is amazing. Uh, he was in charge of uh, the, all the special forces in the Army for a long time. And, uh, and then when he was asked to be, the, they were going to promote him to a three-star, and he was going to be in charge of all of the, of one-third of the Army. He was going to be in charge of one corps. The Army has three corps. He was going to be in charge of one of the corps, and he said he really felt like God was telling him to do something else, like come talk to guys like us and uh, that kind of thing. And so he's just an amazing guy. I really got to, to meet him, uh, enjoy his company, get to know him a lot better. Over, over the last quite a few months, and he's just an amazing guy. I really got a heart for the guys. So guys, you definitely want to be here. You don't want to miss that. Um, it's going it's to be pretty powerful. So I did have a picture to show you. Santosh, our pastor in um, India, had his little boy. This is Devaj right here, Devaj Santosh. And uh, he, he, when he was first born, he had swelling on the brain. So he stayed in the hospital for a week. He's doing much better now. He does have to take shots every twice a week. For the swelling, and but but the Santos said the doctor is saying he's doing he's doing good. We just need to continue to pray for him, and and uh, and then he just does what he has to do. Now um, this week coming up, Josiah, our other pastor, he's coming back to Ramper Hunt. He is um, he was at home. Uh, I announced last week that um, that he was there because his father had passed away. I got that wrong. The way that they say that, the way in in. Um, the way they translate Hindi into English, what he said to me was, my older father uh, was, was uh, passed away. Older father is their way of saying uncle. And so it was his uncle that had passed away and his uh, older mother, which is aunt, uh, was is who he went back to be with and, and uh, take care of. So so he's coming back this uh, week. He'll be back in Ramper Hut, and then Santosh will be back in Ramper Hut next week. And then we'll work on getting Ruby and the baby there as soon as possible. The medical stuff may delay that just a little bit, but we'll try to get him there as, as quick as possible. And so I told him, I've been telling him uh, since the beginning of this, that once he has the baby, uh, people will only care about that. Uh, they won't care about him anymore. But the, the, this is something interesting I've just noticed that... that um, all cultures, you know, all people are basically the same. Cultures are different, but people are basically the same. And uh, I, I remember this when I was uh, having our first child, that I, I wasn't too excited about it. It wasn't that big of a deal. You know, I never had a kid before. I didn't know. I didn't, you know, it's not, I didn't necessarily like my childhood. I didn't want to recreate it. And so to me, a baby was, eh, whatever. And, uh, and then all of a sudden, I had my oldest, and my world changed. It, it, it was the most amazing thing. I was talking to my oldest son, the same thing, as he was uh, getting ready to have his daughter, my granddaughter, and he was like, yeah, Dad, you know, we're looking forward to it, whatever, but you could tell there wasn't this, and now, I mean, it's the center of his existence, is that little girl. Now, this is the same thing with Santosh, when, when we were talking to him before, uh, before we came back here while we were still in India, Nur and I were trying to convince him to go home early, because the doctors were saying his wife could give about a two-week window and said his wife would be due sometime in that two weeks, and he was going to land in the middle of it. He's going to get back to where his wife is. She's not with him in Ramperhut, like in the middle of that two weeks. And I said, you don't want to do that. What if she shows up the day before you do? Well, that's no big deal. I said, it's a big deal. When she's 25 years old, you can say, I was there at your birth. You can't say, you know, I, I wasn't quite there. I was still busy. And, uh, and so we were, Nur and I were trying to talk him into this, and finally he agreed. Before we left, he agreed he'd go back early. And then, of course, the baby didn't come for a week and a half. So I was like, whatever. But, 
But it, it was interesting. It's been interesting over the last two weeks since the baby's been born talking to him. We meet with him every Tuesday morning. We talk to him on Skype. And he's just excited about this baby. This is the most wonderful thing. And I said, well, we're telling him goodbye this week. And I, and I said, well, um, God bless you and have a, have a good um, rest of your evening. And he said, God is blessing me. He said, God has blessed me already more than I can imagine. He's just bubbling with this. In fact, I asked him, I said, is the baby there now? Well, obviously the answer was yes. And he said, well, let me, go, let me go show you the baby. So he goes and turns his flash on his phone, and then we're Skyping with his phone. And the baby's asleep. And I said, well, that's okay. Now, he's holding the phone away from him now. He can barely hear me. And I said, well, that's okay. Don't wake the baby up. All of a sudden, you see his mom's hand come in and start slapping the baby's face and doing like this. And when you, you know, this kind of thing, and the baby's just, you know. And I was like, it's okay. Don't wake the baby up. He goes, no, he's pretty awake. He's pretty awake. And I was like, don't wake the baby up. And I, I, I feel like this tyrannical monster, every time I try to do something, it doesn't come out. It doesn't translate. It's lost in translation. So um, we are having this week, we're having another meeting with the city. Last uh, a week and a half ago, we had the uh, uh, commissioners meeting for our annexation into the city. And this week is the city council resolution hearing. And so this is a big deal. Uh, over the next two, three weeks, we've got... Um, we have to put a sign up out here. We've got to do some other things that are going to be pressing. Um, but basically, the annexation is done. These are the, just the last few things. This is the last final votes and all this stuff. The commissioners' meeting went just fine. This meeting, uh, we're anticipating, will go just as smooth. But uh, within the next few weeks, we will be annexed into the city. And then the only thing that's stopping us from building is just enough money to accomplish that. And so be thinking about this. Be praying about this. Uh, uh, giving, what are you thinking about giving this year for this to make this happen? W one of the things we're going to start doing, I'll talk about this more in two weeks, a uh, week after next, um, some, of the, some of our vision that I'm going to start off with this morning and then include a couple weeks from now the, the second part of it is um, the fact that we're, we're going to be putting the building before you every month. Once a month, you're going to get uh, your monthly update of where we are financially, what's going on, what plans, what, I mean, whatever's happening with that and, and uh, keep it in front of you. Keep the, we're going to talk more about the financial side, giving and things like that. So that'll, that'll be coming up. I'll talk more about that in two weeks. Next week, we're going to be talking about missions. Obviously, this is the key. You'll see at the end of this, missions is going to fit right in between this week and next week. We are a missions-driven church. We are about missionaries. We're about giving to missions. We give thousands and thousands of dollars every month to missions. Uh, we really believe in this. To missionaries, this isn't just a random thing. These are the specific missionaries doing specific things. Uh, next week, you're going to hear from a missionary. On Sunday morning, you're going to hear from a bunch of missionaries Sunday night at the banquet. We hope you're there. We hope you're signed up. If you're not, I think there's a sign-up um, on the planet somewhere that you can sign up for this. But we want you to um, be a part of this. It's going to be a great time. We've got a bunch of missionaries that are going to be here, an opportunity to hear stories and all this kind of thing. So... So this morning, I want us to look at, this is the, the beginning of a bunch of things. We've got a, quite a few months planned here, some subjects for, that we're looking at, some ways that we're trying to, to um, who we are as a church, what we're trying to do. And so these first three weeks, we're going to be looking at, at, our, at our, our vision, kind of the state of the church, address, where we're going, who we are, uh, what we're trying to accomplish. And some of the things that we're going to be doing throughout this year, we're gonna, I'm going to be pushing a lot in specific areas this year. Uh, I think we're we're ready for this. Um, we're ready for kind of the next step in in who we are as a church and what we're we're trying to get to. And I'm looking at freedom this morning, and and I'm thinking about it from both angles. No way I can think about freedom w 
without hitting it from both sides. One is the, the landscape of America and what it means to be a free country and some of the things with that and how that, it's, it's amazing how it mirrors so much our spiritual freedom. Some of those things. One of, one of the things that I've been noticing um, for quite a while now, I'm saying years and years now, is that our country is becoming less and less free. In fact, uh, you can easily go online and look at these statistics that our country consistently uh, moves down in the ranking of all the countries of the world as being free. Now, that, that's mind-boggling for me, at least for me, my generation, and earlier, the idea that America would not be like the most free country on the planet, uh, it, it, it just, that should just be. That's just a given. But we are systematically moving down, and I think we're about at 12th or 13th now on the list of countries around the world as being the most free. In other words, a less controlled, less uh, socialistic kind of mentality and more free, and America constantly moves down. Now, that's a, that's a tragic thing in a bunch of, of ways, but I, I believe part of the reason is because we have lost, and this is, a, this is a younger generation thing, but anytime you point to the younger generation and say something's not right with them, it's not fair to not point backwards and say, well, then apparently the generations before have not done something appropriately to keep this understanding. We have become less and less free in the, in the younger generation nowadays. Does, has, it, part of the reason, or a major part of the reason, is because we don't really understand what our freedom is. We, we don't, it's hard to respect our freedom because we take it for granted. We don't totally understand. We don't understand what it is like to not be free. I, I'm preparing some messages for the future, and I've been looking, watching a bunch of videos that has to do with this, and it has to do with how people think, treat each other, prejudices, and stuff like that. And I've been watching a lot of, um, of uh, uh, World War II, Nazi, Hitler, and those kind of things, documentaries and stuff like that, about all these guys and the, their mindset and stuff. And, and it's amazing how easily, just w literally less than 100 years, that our country has lost the reality of what it was to almost be controlled by hate and evil called Nazism. That the whole world was almost under Hitler's control. He really was not that far from, from conquering the entire planet. And I believe it was from the, God's divine hand that he separated himself. Instead of just crossing the, the, the river into Europe, he spreads himself out and goes to Russia in the middle of winter. That's benign thinking. And I believe that God was doing that. I believe God was confusing and all this other stuff. But, but we forget what it is to be free. And how easily that can be taken away. And systematically over time, our country is becoming less and less and less free. And we're watching it happen. In fact, we're voting people in to take it away from us. This is one of the things. I'm, it sounds like I'm going to jump into this politically, but I, I want you to stay with me. I'm not trying to just assess something politically here. But uh, this, this uh, young lady that was voted into lawmaking position in New York, Ocasio-Cortez, she is a, a full-blown socialist. She, she acknowledges that. She puts that as part of her stance, that she's a socialist. And so she gets voted in. Everybody thinks it's cool, it's popular, because her idea is let's give everybody everything and all this kind of stuff, except she doesn't even understand. She was asked about the branches of government, and she didn't know what they were. She was voted in as a, as a congresswoman, and she does not know what the branches of government are. So now, this is where it makes me sound like a mean person, but this is my heart, so here it goes. Now, she's presented her environmentalist go green plan, 
that she's going to institute throughout the state of New York. And upper-end financial people in New York will be paying 76% taxes. Do you understand what I just said? 76%. Three-quarters of all the money they make will be paid in taxes. And New Yorkers going, how dare you do this? And I say, you deserve it, you goobs. You voted her in, knowing she was a socialist, knowing that this is what she was going to do. And now when she does it, you're like, what? Why? Because we vote in people to take our freedoms away. And we've been working toward this for a long time in this country. And it's getting worse and worse and worse. And I think the reason is because... We forget what freedom is. Now let's look at this. Let's switch. Let's go to the most important context of freedom, which is spiritual freedom. We do the exact same thing in the spiritual realm. We allow our freedoms to be taken away by Satan, by our own flesh, by our wrong thinking, all this kind of stuff. We systematically get put back in bondage, back in bondage, back in bondage. And we, we actually walk that direction. We choose these things. We choose life mentalities, lifestyles, attitudes that take our freedoms away. And I think the same reason that our country is doing this, the same reason that the church is doing the exact same thing, is because we've forgotten what really freedom is. Freedom in the Spirit, to really let the Holy Spirit be in charge. Now, my background in some of this contributes in part of the way that I think about this. My spiritual background, I grew up in, in uh, Pentecostal charismatic churches down in the South all my life. And there was a great freedom in those places. There was this. I talk about some things sometimes that make me uncomfortable that I look and I go, well, you know, they were overly legalistic. I get that. But that was the church side. The actual worshiping God and connecting to God was, was very free. It would be very common in our services for somebody just to kneel down and just kneel on the floor and, and just begin to weep and, and pray and worship and cry. And, and, um, and I know because I had friends, I went to churches with them, like Presbyterian churches or Baptist churches and stuff. If you actually, now, this is back in the 70s. Nowadays, it's totally different. A lot of the evangelicals are trying to copy the Pentecostals. <laughs> That's my way of putting it, but it's not their way of putting it. But the, the, the things have changed with modern worship and stuff. People raise their hands and do all kinds of stuff, but there's not any more, any more depth of power or, or intimacy with the Lord. It's just outward expression that is much more common. Um, I went to some churches when I was a kid with friends, and if you would have raised your hands or something like that in those churches, they, they the, the ushers would have come over and said, hey, that's not really who we are. Could you please not do that? You say, all that stuff didn't happen. It happened. Okay, some of you, you are testimony of this. It's happened to you. And so the reality is, is we had a lot more freedom that I, that I remember back in those days where people would just worship and they would just be broken. And you could, you could have prayer times. And we would have prayer times sometimes. Like our, our, uh, our prayer partners here, that would, sometimes there would be lines so long that that would take an hour or two. Or sometimes we'd do that after the service, like an altar time. And people would just pray to be healed and stuff like that for, for a couple of hours. I remember when I was a kid, we had Sunday night services. And I was a musician in the church as a, as a kid. I started playing at five years old. And I would play drums or guitar or something like that. And we would go sometimes for a couple hours. And I'd be up there playing the drums or doing something literally for a couple hours while people are praying. Just seeking God. And people could go home if they wanted and, and stay if they wanted. And there was just a freedom. There was an openness. There was a, God, we need you more than we need all this stuff. We need you. And we're going to get in with you. And we're going to seek you. And, we're gonna... and guys, we, we, we've lost that to a great extent. Not, not totally. 
And I would say our church is, is, is better than a lot of options when it comes to that. But we're not where we need to be. We need, we need a freedom to let the Holy Spirit pull on us and change us and convict us. And, and this is the way that I ask the question regularly is when's the last time that the Holy Spirit so moved on your life that you were so broken under his presence and power and glory that, that you literally were weeping? You say, well, that's not really me. Well, it is the Holy Spirit. So if it's not you and it is the Holy Spirit, somebody's not right. Right? When's the last time the Holy Spirit so moved on you to just spend time with him you didn't want to leave? You'd already spent your 10 minutes in, in morning prayer, but you just didn't want to leave. You needed him. You needed to just be there and let the Holy Spirit roll through you and get in your mind and change thinking, get in your spirit and move through your spirit and, and break you and change and convict and all this stuff. When's the last time that that's happened in your life? Guys, we need freedom. We need to be free. See, it depends also on how you define freedom. This is something that I found over the years. I used to define freedom, and many people define it this way, the ability to do what I want when I want. I found out over time that that was not really what freedom was. As a teenager, I got farther and farther away from God. When I left home at 17, I went into the Navy. I was as far from God as you could possibly get. I was a Christian as a kid. And I, that's why when people ask me, I, I have this question every now and then. Somebody will say, well, you didn't really get away from God. That's just uh, your way of thinking. Let me help you. I got away from God. I don't believe in one saved, always saved. I don't believe eternal, unconditional, eternal security. Why? Because I personally disproved that theology. Personally. And also, I don't think Scripture agrees with it. But I got as far from God as you could. In fact, I systematically began to go down all the things that I knew were the rules of the church. Now, some of these were church rules. Some of these were uh, uh, laws, God's laws. I didn't know the difference at the time, though. And I would just systematically go down all the things that I was told as a kid, and I would try to break all the rules. This is the way you're supposed to live. This is the way you're supposed to say, I'm going to break them. I'm going to break them. I'm going to do this. I'm going to, I'm going to use this. I'm going to do whatever the case is. And I worked hard at this. And, and I started young, so I, I came around fairly quickly. But at 18, I'm sitting in a dorm room in college, <clears throat> and, and I realized that the freedom that I thought I had was actually bondage. It was controlling me. It was destroying me. And the decisions that I, I was making, all my own decisions, and those decisions where I knew what truth was, I knew what, what was healthy, I knew what wisdom was, but I was choosing to not, whatever those were, I was choosing to not, and it was destroying me. And I said that before God, and I said, God, I want to do this your way. I'm tired of this, I want to do this your way. My way is destroying me. Now, for the first couple of years after that, um, those couple of years in that time frame, I, I began to serve God. Lynn and I dated, got married. I became a youth pastor within those couple of years after that. During that time frame, I still thought, in the back of my mind, I still thought serving Jesus was like a jail. I had been locked up in the, in the boring, nothing, horrible jail of Christianity because I still thought that all of the freedom was actually out there. Free to get drunk, destroy your brain cells, and, and hug a, a toilet you puked in all night. That, what kind of freedom am I missing out there? And I still thought that even when I was serving the Lord, I, I still thought that until over time, Scripture, the presence of the Holy Spirit in my wife, she was a great influence in these things, I really began to understand that true freedom came in the Holy Spirit. True freedom came with the Lord. True freedom came living His way rather than living my way. 
not the goofiness that I was choosing. I am limited human, and I make every, pretty much every decision I make is, is prone to, to disaster if I don't let the Holy Spirit lead me. And I began to really see that and switch gears. And nowadays, I, I wouldn't, there's nothing out there I would choose over Jesus. Nothing. I can't imagine. And these are some of the things I, I try to tell young people. I've, I've told this to my kids. Just because culture is going a certain direction doesn't mean that you've got to go that direction. It doesn't mean that it's, that it's actually good for you or healthy. Or, or here's another one. It doesn't mean it's actually exciting. This is one of the things I found when I was in high school. I went to all the parties. went to all the stuff, and everybody had their red Solo cup half full of beer right? Let me, let me let you on a little insight, specifically younger guys. Let me help you with this. You go to a party, everybody's got their solo cup full of beer. Guess what? Uh, 30 minutes later, you're going to see everybody with another solo cup. It's a new one, and it's got half full of beer, and all of those others are sitting all over the place. Why? Because nobody really likes drinking it, but you got to because you're cool. So you got your, and then you go set it down. You're like, hey, I'll take another. You didn't even drink that one, you faker. Now, you get that other, you know, that one dude in the corner, he just, you know, that's a different guy. But we act like we like this stuff, but we don't. We act like we want this stuff, but we don't. My son was telling me yesterday, he was talking to some of us, and he said, you know, there's been a major shift that's happened. He said, nowadays, the girls are much more aggressive sexually, and the guys are not. Now, back in my day, that wasn't the case. It was the exact opposite. And he said, the girls are the aggressive and the guys are not. He said, all my friends that I talked to online, he has a bunch of guys that plays video games with and stuff. He said, all of them are talking about how the, the girls are the ones that are being pushy. They're the ones trying to get this stuff to happen. And, and he says, and the guys are saying, we don't want this. We want a meaningful relationship. I was like, what? It's not the dudes when I was growing up. But the truth was this. Every person wants meaningful relationships. We're just letting culture tell us what we're supposed to think. In my generation, we let culture tell the guys. In today's generation, we're letting culture tell the girls. Guys, there's got to be a freedom here. There's got to be a freedom. In, first, in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, this is, this is some interesting stuff. These are the kind of things you, that you see, that you look at, and you, don't, and you don't really get into your spirit if you're not careful. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 7, it says, The old way, with laws etched in stone led to death. Now that's an interesting statement because he's talking about the, the he's talking about the laws in a general sense, but he's specifically talking about the Ten Commandments. Okay? And he says, etched in stone. God literally took his own finger or pen or something and wrote on the 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 two stone tablets, he wrote out the commandments, hands them to Moses, and Moses carries them down to the people. Now, when he gets down there, he sees the the uh, false the the um, cow calf made of gold, and he gets upset. He throws the commandments down, and God has to make another set. You know, and I, I, I've always wondered what that conversation looked like. Really, Moses, I got to do this all over again. Okay, so I don't know. But he, when, when, when Moses carries that law, those tablets, down to the people, there's an interesting thing. It's talking about how that these laws are etched in stone, and they lead to death. Now, why would God give the people something that just is a death thing? What he's saying is we go down through the scripture, he's unpacking this. He said it leads to death, but that's not where it started. 
He said, look at this. He said, these stones, the etched in stone that lead to death, though it began with such glory that the people of Israel could not even bear to look at Moses' face. When Moses came down off the mountain with the law, his face was glowing. God's presence was so strong. God's power was so strong in him. And the people immediately recognized this, and they began to repent before God. I mean, Moses had to get on to him. But then they repented before God, and they realized God's law is an amazing thing. And if you really look at it the right way, Go to Psalms 119, the, the amazingly long chapter with so many verses and verses and verses and verses about God. Every single scripture in Psalms 119 is about one thing, God's word. And it talks about the joy of it. It talks about the excitement of it, the blessing of it, and all these kind of things. I, again, I used to think that being a Christian was being put in some kind of uh, cultural social jail, that you're now a social pariah or something because you're a Christian, because I bought into the stupidity of culture. And then I began to realize God's words and his truths are amazing to us. They are a gift to us. They're, they bring wisdom in ways that, that we don't have the ability to understand. That he brings knowledge, understanding. He brings ability in relationships. So many things. We can name things all day long that God's word brings to us if we'll go there. In fact, Jerry uh, Tuttle came to me after first service. And I was talking about, you know, that one of the ways that that we get frustrated is that, you know, the, the, we get to Leviticus. I hate Leviticus, right? Anybody ever, half of you have said that before. I'm trying to read through the Bible, but I'm in Leviticus, you know. This is something that, that Jerry said, which is, is powerfully true. He said, without Leviticus, without the law, without the stuff of the law, in other words, one of the scriptures in Leviticus is, um, if, you're, if your children are homosexual, you stone your children to death. That's, that's in Leviticus. Okay, But he says what happens is, is when we see the cross, Jesus dies on the cross and he takes the punishment onto himself for our sin. So when you read that in Leviticus, you recognize immediately, or you should recognize, grace. Because we don't do that now. Why? Because we have the cross and we're praying that that person will be forgiven, not stoned to death. Just like we're praying that we be forgiven, not stoned to death. And the big picture, the end of it, not just a specific minor thing along the way. That's not really minor. But the, the end result is, if we don't get it right, we end up in hell. But he's saying you don't have to end up in hell. Because why? Grace. This is the point of the cross. Is when you read Leviticus, you've got the law. But grace changes the subject. Changes who gets the punishment. If we let Jesus forgive us, Jesus takes the punishment. That's, that's what Leviticus, so when you're reading through Leviticus, look at it like that. This, I don't have to go through this. Why? Because Jesus died on the cross for me. It should be revelatory in some of this. He says that when Moses came down off the mountain, his face was glowing. And this is where the law started. It was an excitement thing. It was a good thing. For his face shone with the glory of God, even though the brightness was already fading away. Now look at this. Shouldn't we expect far greater glory under the new way, after the cross, now that the Holy Spirit is giving life? Shouldn't, now I'm going to, this is imagery, it's not necessarily physical, but I believe it, it does speak to physical too. Shouldn't our lives and our faces glow more when we have more than just the law? Moses had just the law, but he also, and this is, we're going to get to this, he also was in the presence of God with the law. And that's the difference is we have the law, we also have the Holy Spirit, but there's something missing because we're not, we're not displaying his glory like we should. Something is missing. 
If the old way, which brings condemnation, was glorious, how much more glorious is the new way, which makes us right with God, Jesus' blood? In fact, the first glory was not glorious at all compared with the overwhelming glory of the new way. So if the old way, which has been replaced, was glorious, and, and I would say that word replaced, uh, the way the English translate that, it should be much more along the lines so that we can understand theologically of finalized, updated, okay? Because Paul specifically says Jesus didn't come to do away with the law. He came to complete the law. So what Paul is saying here, it's, it, that's a translation thing. So he says, <clears throat> so if the old way which has been replaced was glorious, how much more glorious is the new which remains forever? Since this new way gives us such confidence, we can be very bold. We are not like Moses who put a veil over his face so the people of Israel would not see the glory even though it was destined to fade away. Now Paul's about to switch gears and he's going to use the picture of Moses with the veil over his face and the glory of God being displayed through him and God's law. He's going to tie it all together and he's going to talk to us about now. This is interesting how he puts all this together for us so that he can go here. Okay, Verse 14. Well, let me go back to verse 13. We are not like Moses who put a veil over his face so the people of Israel would not see the glory even though it was destined to fade away. But the people's minds were hardened. Talking about the day of Moses, not now. The people's minds were hardened. And then he says, and to this day, after the cross, that means at the time he wrote it and now for us right now, to this day, <clears throat> sorry, I have glasses. But the people's minds were hardened, and to this day, whenever the Old Covenant is being read, let me, let me say it differently, whenever the Bible is being read, the Old Covenant is being read, the same veil covers their minds today so they cannot understand the truth. Just like in the time of Moses where they, God literally brings the Ten Commandments and they had hardened their heart, which is why they had made a golden calf. M Moses puts the veil over his face because he's glowing. Well, when you're glowing and you're the only one glowing, <clears throat> you put a veil over your face because it's uncomfortable to people. But if everybody's glowing, no reason to put a veil over your face. If everybody is saying, God, we desire you more than anything, then some of the things that we would, that we would see as weird or strange or something else get taken off the table as being weird and being understood now. I, I experienced this as a kid. You've heard me talk about different times when growing up in Pentecostal churches, I saw weird things. I saw people do strange things. I would literally, like I said, I'd see people just get down on the floor and just begin to weep and cry. And, and I'm thinking, why are they doing that? A grown adult just weeping like a little kid in the floor. And then when I was 12 years old, I was filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. I began to pray in tongues. I began to pray in spirit. The Holy Spirit began to move through my life in a, in a, in a way that I'd never experienced before. And all of a sudden, I began to understand that. I began to understand brokenness when brokenness doesn't make sense. I began to understand uh, becoming emotional about God. Why would we become emotional about God? Well, when the Holy Spirit, who is, is the power of God himself, when he's moving through your heart and your mind, it's affecting you spiritually, mentally, emotionally. You can't have the Spirit of God without all of God. God is the one who created our emotions. He created our minds. He created everything. And what we try to do is say, God, I'm going to deal with you on an analytical way, a tiny little slice of the fullness of who God is. And there's all this other stuff that he has created and designed us to interact with him, and we squish all that and throw it off to the side and say, well, God, I will try to understand you mentally. Let me give you something that I read just this week. It's, it's, it's been messing with my head. 
I saw this was a, uh, like a Christian article thing that, that uh, was online. And it was talking about Beth Moore. You guys know who Beth Moore is? She's a, a great teacher, preacher, woman that reaches women, but also reaches, I mean, I've listened to many of her Bible studies, and she's solid, solid theologically in all kinds of ways. Well, she made this statement in one of her conferences a, a couple weeks ago, and she said that, um, that there is a difference between, and the church is confusing this, but there is a difference between um, spending time in God's Word and spending time with God. I saw that and I thought, well, that's a great statement. She's completely right about that. Spending time reading God's Word, getting in God's Word, is not the same thing as pushing that aside and getting with God himself. Spending time with God. The evangelical world has been attacking her for that statement. They're saying, how dare you say that spending time in God's Word is not the same as spending time with God? Here's my, here's my posit on this. The reason the evangelical word is so upset at her over this is because they're scared to death of true intimacy with God. And they're blaming Beth Moore of coming up with some kind of new thinking that's been around since the Garden of Eden. And they're attacking her because it's much easier and much more comfortable <clears throat> to be locked in our little church worlds, our little church thinking, and we just take our 10, 15 minutes of Bible study, and we say we've spent time with God. But the Holy Spirit hasn't moved on us. He hasn't changed us. He hasn't broken up our spirit. We haven't been uh, uh, convicted and repent before, and we haven't spent that intimacy, that broken time where we're wide open before the Lord. And the church is scared to death of that. And Beth Moore is trying to get some very profound truth across to people, and they're missing it because they're not willing to go into intimacy with God in His, in, in his presence. They will, they will couch the presence of God with just spending time learning about Him. Okay, learning about Him, understanding Him, and even the word exploding into your spirit, that's one thing. But there needs to be a time when you put the Bible aside, when you put your journal aside, when you put your Bible study aside, you turn off your worship music, and it's just you and the Lord. And you just spend time with him. Just lock in with God. Because you need the spirit of God to move through you. Not just the understanding of who he is. But he needs to get personal with you. And talk to you things that are about you. And get in your mind. This is why scripture. This is why Corinthians specifically talks about. That praying in the spirit is praying. The Holy Spirit is praying through you about things you don't know. In other words, you're praying in a language you don't understand about stuff you don't understand because the Holy Spirit is praying through you about stuff you need to be prayed about, but you won't go there because we as humans don't do that. And that's why we have to pray in the Spirit. That's why there is spiritual connection and intimacy that is so important for us that we can't get any other way. Scripture tells us very clearly that the way the Holy Spirit strengthens you is when you pray in the Spirit. That's the way the Holy Spirit strengthens you. But we're scared to death of that. And so Beth Moore says something that, in my mind, was just a common sense thing. And she's being attacked for it by the church. And, and here's the reality. She's right. They're wrong. That's how simple it is. We need to get in with God. Not just, not just do our Bible studies. But get in with God. Again, the question, when's the last time the Holy Spirit so moved on you, you were weeping, you were broken? Guys, if that hadn't been recently, it's not the Holy Spirit that's the problem. You're the problem. You're not, you're not going there. You're not putting yourself out there. You're being trapped in church stuff. You're being trapped in your religion. You're being trapped in the confines of Christianity. Look what he says here. The people's minds were hardened. To this day, whenever the Bible is read... 
The same veil covers the mind so they can't understand the truth. And this veil can only be removed by believing in Christ. You say, well, I'm a Christian. So isn't that what that means? I believe in Christ, so now the veil's taken away? Sure. Except I'm going to read the, in just a minute here in Galatians. You can put that veil back over. And I know I've done this myself. When we start talking, here, let me give you an example. A couple of weeks ago, a week and a half ago, we had grillers at my house, men's prayer, and we grill burgers, and we, have, we eat, and then we pray. And um, we, we had one of the better discussions I've had in months and months, maybe, I don't know, a year or two. And there was a handful of guys who were sitting around the table, we were talking about this stuff, and we began to talk about what it means for, for men to walk with men in life, to pray with guys, to be accountability partners, prayer partners, and those kind of things. And we just began to talk about this, look at Scripture, and I gave some of my own examples of this and, and different things. And <clears throat> one of the guys said, well, Pastor, he's been around a while, he's not like new or anything, but, but he said, Pastor, we need, this is important for us. I'm like, yes, you are correct. And he says, you need to talk about this and mention this from the pulpit. And I said, I, I do, all the time. He said, really? I don't guess I heard you. So here's my point. And we talked about this. I'm not, I'm not hanging him, throwing him under the bus or anything. Here's the reality of this, guys, girls, all of us. There are things right now that we know the Holy Spirit is leading us to, but we haven't jumped into it. Why? Because we've heard it forever. Year after year after year, we hear the same things. We hear the, I, I heard back, this is 25 plus years ago, I was in Houston doing some street ministry outreach stuff, and this, this uh, guy was talking to our team that before he went out, and he said, guys, here's what we're trying to fight in Houston. Now, Houston's Bible Belt, you know, the South, the church city, but even 25, 30 years ago, they were already becoming very lost. In fact, when we were there, it was like 27 years ago, when we were there, Houston already had the fourth largest homosexual community in the nation. This is the middle of the Bible Belt. And he said, this is the reality. We're fighting Christian inoculation. I said, wait, explain that to me. And this, this, this helped me understand and change the way I thought, but it helped me understand something I'd seen all my life, but I didn't, I didn't know how to qualify it. He said, we give people just enough of Jesus, just enough of Christianity that they build up an immunity to it, but there's not a life-changing transformation in their existence. And he said, this is the church is struggling with this in America right now. And guys, now over the years, I've seen this worse and worse and worse. We've got just enough Jesus that we don't let the Holy Spirit ignite him into our existence. We inoculate ourselves. We built up an immunity to him. We know the stuff, we know, but we're not all in. We're not passionate about the Lord. And he says, you put that veil over, you harden your hearts. You know what the word says, but as soon as you start hearing, as soon as you start, and going back to these men, we talked about this. I said, guys, we talk about this all the time, and I'm going to mention it throughout this year. I've already got on the counter a few times about accountability partners, but here's the reality. Many of you have heard this for years and years, but you still don't have an accountability partner, prayer partner, and you don't really have an intention of getting one. Although it's affecting your marriage, it's affecting your family, your workplace, your spiritual walk, your maturation, everything. It's affecting you, but you're just not going to do it. There's, how else do we say that? And I know this firsthand. Years ago, I've told some of this story before. In 1997, I became the presbyter of, of, a, a, of a, the Sims of God in the, in the southeast section. And that means I was uh, in a leadership position over a, a group of churches, quasi-leadership. Okay, so I go to our first presbyter meeting. I'm scared to death of this. I see things happen at this, and I need an accountability partner. So I began <clears throat> to ask all these pastors, about 20 guys there. 
pastors and leaders, district officials and leaders all over Colorado and Utah. <clears throat> and I said, guys, I need your help. I'm 27. The next guy is like 40. And I said, I need your help. I need an accountability partner. But I said, like, yeah, we need that. I said, I'm desperate for this. Please help me. Please be a prayer partner for me, accountability. Be a mentor to me. And they're all, yes, we'll do this. We'll do this. We'll do this. Over the next three months, I would call them, email them, nothing. Get back to the meetings again. I'd say all the same thing to all the same men sitting in the room. Guys, I need your help. I need your help. I need an accountability bar. I need a mentor. I need to, yes, Scott, we're all with you. We got you. We, we'd go to lunch and we'd talk about it. I'm going to give you a call. I'm going to email you. Do all this stuff. Nothing. It happened for two and a half years. Nothing, nothing. My last meeting as a presbyter, I looked across that room, and I said, guys, I want you to be totally honest with me. How many of you in here have an accountability partner or a prayer partner right now that's not your spouse, but somebody that you meet with once a week or once every week, and you talk about the real issues of life? And we had a list there. Not one of those guys raised their hand. These are pastors, and these are still pastors in Colorado and Utah, district officials, all kinds of them, and have been for years. And I guarantee you, if I went to district council with our ministers right now, a few hundred ministers in our district, and asked the same question, you get a handful of guys, a handful of hundreds of ministers, a handful that have an accountability partner and prayer partner, although they're teaching it and preaching it to their churches. Why? Because they're just like all of us in here. We put the veil over when it comes to certain subjects, and we're just not going to go there. Because it's going to take too much from us. It's going to demand too much. I have to put myself out there. I've said this before over and over. There's a group of guys in our, some of them are in our church, some of them are out of our church, five guys that we get together about once every three weeks as accountability partner, and we talk to each other, and we talk about stuff. I was told forever and ever and ever, I said this in Bible school, I said this as, a, people told me this as a minister, you don't do that with people in your church. As a pastor, you don't do that. Because if I, if I bear my soul to Nikki about something in my life, she can ruin me with that. And so you don't do it. You don't do it. And about 10 years ago, I said, this is stupid. If I can't open myself up to people in the church, what are we? I'm preaching it. I'm teaching it. I'm telling you to do it. What's the difference? But we put the veil over. I can say certain things about marriage. Put the veil over. Certain things about money, put the veil over. Certain things about walking in the Spirit, put the veil over. And we practiced this for a long time in the church. I'll put the veil back over, and my heart will push against that. Years ago, I saw this happen at Southwestern. And I did this a couple of different times uh, when I was a youth pastor. I did, it, I did this in a church. I was a youth pastor in Texas, and this church is very uh, religious, very churchy. They did all the church stuff, Right? They said amen when you're supposed to. They did all this church stuff. But there was, a, there was, a, there was a, an emptiness sometimes when it came to true conviction, repentance, and relationship with God. I wouldn't do this today because the only thing it did is cause more problems. It didn't help anything. But I preached a message one time where I didn't say anything. I said a lot of words, and I got people to shout at the right time, stand at the right time, do all this stuff, but I didn't actually say anything. Saw the exact same thing happen at Southwestern, the university in fact, I'm taking my daughter to this university this, this week. She's checking in down there. Um, Lynn and I are on the board down there. It's my alma mater. I saw this happen in their chapel one time. I had a guy get up and for 20 minutes. All he did was say exciting-sounding stuff, but he didn't say anything. And that place was standing and shouting and raising a hand and clapping and amen and all this stuff. And after about 20 minutes, he said, okay, now what did I say? And they all paused. He said, I haven't said anything. I haven't talked about Jesus. I haven't talked about conviction, the blood, the Bible, nothing. All I kept saying is, this is going to be an awesome place today. We're going to bring the roof down. We're going to do it. And he, and he did that for 20 minutes, and people were shouting, 
yelling, standing, raising their hands because they thought he was talking about Jesus. He said, I didn't say nothing. That's the same veil. It's just an exciting veil. But it's a religious veil that we put over because we're not really listening with our heart, our spirit. We're not letting the word of God get into us and do something and change us. We're just doing church. And Moses is, and, and Paul is saying this is the same thing that happened in time of Moses. They're doing the exact same thing. Look at this, verse 15. Yes, even today when they read Moses' writing, their hearts are covered with a veil. They don't understand. But when someone turns to the Lord, the veil is taking away, taken away. Verse 17. But the Lord is the Spirit. And whenever the Spirit, wherever the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. There is supernaturalness. It's the Spirit of God. He's the power of the universe. He's the supernaturalness of the universe. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there'll be supernatural things. There'll be a transformation. There'll be conviction. There'll be repentance. There will be these things when the Holy Spirit is there. Because why? That's freedom. Freedom is not going to church. Freedom is the Holy Spirit getting in you and changing you, transforming you, making you different, that you are different now than you were last week. This is a conversation that I have with pastors regularly. In fact, I've been writing a bunch of stuff down. I'm thinking about making a book, but I don't think many people read it. But here's, I'm, I'm, I've been putting this into words. The idea that a lot of pastors in America right now are very, very comfortable with their churches getting bigger, even if there's no transformation, salvation, or anything different. Nobody has to actually be changed. As long as your church gets a little bit bigger, people put money in the offering, you're good. And I'm not okay with that. Guys, we're not, we're not here just so that I have a job and that you have a place to show up on Sunday mornings. We're here because we are serving an almighty God, a creator of us that wants to do amazing things with us and change us and do this. This is something, when I say this to pastors, they'll cringe. It won't bother you the same way, but when I say this to pastors, their skin will crawl. They'll say, what if, say, 50 people in your church this week, the, the Holy Spirit just put it on their heart to go and start their own church? Just in their home, just go start their church. The natural thing of a pastor is, no, they need our structure and our leadership. How dare they do that? That's not okay. That's wrong or that's bad. Except that's exactly what the New Testament looked like. That you, that you felt the Holy Spirit telling you to do something. Now, the way we do that in today's church mentality is we have small groups. Now, the way some churches couch it as they say, well, we're starting another church down here, and it's going to be a, a daughter church of ours, and then 15 other churches get emptied into that one, and nobody gets saved. I, I'm overgeneralizing and obviously being critical, but listen to what I'm saying. Are we okay with just having church, but nobody changed? Let me up the ante a little bit, because I know that Scripture directly relates God doing supernatural things to how much we trust Jesus, believe Jesus, put him on the throne. There are a lot of miracles we need, desperately need to be happening in our church right now, and they're not happening. But Scripture directly relates that to whether we believe Jesus. I've mentioned over the last three weeks in a row that what we need as a church is we really need to get before God and fast and pray and really expect Him to do something big in our existence. Change us, convict us, get inside of us and, and mess things up. I'm not asking this in a condemning way. I just want you to process it. Don't raise your hands or anything. But how many of you have done that? How many of you have spent some time just over the last couple of weeks saying, God, what do you got planned for me in 2019? Really getting before God, spending some time fasting. 
God, what do you want to do with me this way? What do you want to do with our marriage? What, why? No, we don't do that stuff. We just got the veil. We just got the veil coming. Look as he continues this. For the Lord is the Spirit, and wherever the Spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. So all of us who have had that veil removed can see and reflect the glory of the Lord. What is the glory of God? It's his presence. It's his power. It's the supernatural. That's the glory of God. It's not just, oh, some good sentences that talk about God's law. That's where he starts off. That leads to nothing. But when you take that law and you let the Holy Spirit ignite it within you, then it leads to God being glorified so that the stuff happens. The supernatural happens. He said that's where we begin to glorify God. And the Lord, who is the Spirit, makes us more and more like Him as we are changed into His glorious image. And I think, I, 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 as I pray, and I've been talking to God about this, I really think, I, I don't think I know this. We've got to do some changing. We've got to. I'm saying church at Briargate, guys, we have got to do a changing. But you don't do that as a body. You do it as individuals. A body can't change. Only individuals can change. We need more of God. We need him to get into our mind. Our spirit. We need him to change this stuff. I wrote three things down that I, that I think need to happen this year. This is going to define. These are in my computer. Every time I'm going in to prepare a message, these are there. First thing is we need to open up more to the Holy Spirit and let the Lord realign and redefine our spiritual journey. As some of us have been doing Christianity for so long, we don't know what it is for the Holy Spirit to move in our life. We've been doing the, the Christian thing for so long that the Holy Spirit would almost have to break through solid rock to move in our spirit. That's not good. We need him to realign some things and redefine. If you think you've got it all figured out and you're just coasting until you die, you're wasting your life. Redefine. Let the Holy Spirit redefine. Now, if you're a younger Christian, age, by the way, doesn't have anything to do with this. If you're a younger Christian, it's being your life's being redefined every day. The longer you go in Christianity, the less that you potentially can be realigned and redefined because you've got it all figured out. But that's where fasting and praying, getting before God and saying, God, not my way. What do you want to do? See, I believe very strongly the Holy Spirit has got a specific plan for you, and he wants you to do something. He's calling you. He's, he's, he's wanting to, 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 to use you, to anoint you, to do these kind of things. But see, we've built a church structure in America that all of us have been privy to at some level that says the church leadership will do all the stuff. And if you want, in fact, I've seen churches that they, you'll hear, this is their tagline. We are a pastoral-driven church or a pastor-driven church. What that means is we'll do all the stuff. You show up, give your offering, and you don't really have to do anything. That's unhealthy. God wants you ministering to people. God wants you anointed and praying for people. He wants you laying hands on people. He wants, if you're a, if you're a mother or father, if you're a father in this place, you're called the priest of your household. Mom and dad, you are the priesters. You need to be priesting. And your flock is kids. So here's my thing. As a, as a pastor to your children, it doesn't matter if they're two or 42, as a pastor to your children, what have you allowed? What, where, when, when's the last time you've spent some time and just sat before God and said, God, what do you want to say to me about my flock? You expect me to do that. I'm the pastor. You expect me to do that for us. And my responsibility is not near as vital as yours is with your family. So 
Fathers, when's the last time you sat and said, God, what are you saying to me for my kids? What are you speaking to me? What direction are we going this year? What do you want to do? How do you want to do this? What about those three or four people at work? You're going to start a Bible study. You got, God's been putting something on your heart. You're the pastor. You're the priest for those people. Get before God and say, God, what are you saying to me? Not what does Pastor Scott say to me, but what are you saying to me? Because God wants to use you. He wants to minister to people through you. The structure is not designed in Scripture by the church will do all the stuff, and then you can just kind of be there. According to Scripture, you are part of the royal priesthood. You are, Strong said, he's a theologian out of Canada. He says that you're part of the royal prophethood of all believers. Solid stuff. You're part of the royal priesthood. You're a leader. You're anointed, expected to be anointed. You're expected to walk in faith. You're expected to walk in the freedom of the Spirit. Why? Because there are people that are depending on you right now for that. Your next door neighbors, they need you. Your coworkers, they need you. They need you. Galatians, oh, the second thing. The second thing is we need to be released from our religious patterns and walk in the freedom of the Holy Spirit. And the only way you can truly walk in the freedom of the Holy Spirit is if you step, start letting go of the religious patterns. You say, well, this has worked for me for 30 years. Try something different. Whatever it is. I had a guy, he was an Anglican, a friend of mine. And um, we were talking about the Holy Spirit and some things like that. And he was asking me, this is years ago, I was in seminary. And, and um, he said, well, how do, you, how do you change things up in your spiritual walk with the Lord? And he was saying it like, you Pentecostals know how to do this. And I said, we don't know any better than you do. We just, we have come across a model that seems to be a little more effective. But understanding the Holy Spirit's the key. It's not the actual model. It's not the parameters. He said, well, how do you, I said, try something different. Do something different. He said, what do you mean? I said, I don't know. Do you, are you an outdoors person? He said, no. And I said, then do that. So what do you mean? Take a walk, sit under a tree, and, and pray for the Holy Spirit to fill you sitting under a tree out in the middle of the woods. He said, why? I said, I don't know. I don't have an answer. You're just saying, how do I change it up? Change your parameters. Change the structure. Change, some, change your thinking. Do something that says it's not just going to church week after week doing the same thing over and over and over. Do something different. David, look through Psalms. David was praying in all kinds of places. He'd pray out in the fields. He'd pray under the trees. He'd pray in battle. He would pray looking at the stars, all these things, because they all showed him God and his amazingness. Follow David's example. Do something different. One time in particular in Psalms, he says, I, as I lay in bed at night, I, I assumed he had an open ceiling or maybe a, the side of the wall was like an open window or something. And um, I mean, they didn't have windows back then, but you understand. So he's laying, but he says, as I look up into the stars I need, uh, at night, I see the glory of your handiwork. That's a different mentality. Let God be different. The third thing here, take the veil from our eyes, and then I pray, let me be renewed and refreshed in your spirit. If some things are going negative or boring in your life right now, that's the best thing to do. You say, my life is just, uh, let the Holy Spirit refresh you. Push everything aside. Push work aside. Push everything aside. And just get before God and say, God, I just need you. And then just let the Holy Spirit just begin to pray in the Spirit. 1 Corinthians 14 says that when you pray in the Spirit, you're strengthened personally. When you pray in tongues, you're strengthened personally. Do that. Some refreshment. You say, my, my marriage is boring. Pray in the Spirit. 
Spend some time with the Holy Spirit and let Him refresh you. And all of a sudden, your spouse will be better looking. I'm serious. All of a sudden, your, your spouse will be sexy. You're like, Holy Spirit won't make your spouse look sexy. Who do you think created sexy? It wasn't the fellow that says he's bringing it back. It was the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit created sexy. Holy Spirit designed you to be attracted to your spouse. Have you ever wondered about that? Have you ever wondered? Let me, let me put it this way. It's just a bag of bones and some blood and tissue and skin and nastiness. And you're like, there's something wrong with you. But here's the reason. Because the Holy Spirit wired us that way. You spend time with the Lord and your spouse will be a lot more attractive. Because the problem is not your spouse, it's your spirit. The problem is inside. Spend some time, let the Holy Spirit refresh you. Bring freshness to you. Bring excitement to you. Bring newness in His Word, in your relationships, all these kind of things. Galatians 5, verse 1. So Christ has truly set us free. Now make sure you stay free. Christ has taken the veil off of your eyes. Now make sure you keep it off. Don't put it back on when you hear the word in certain circumstances. Don't put it back on when you just go to church. Don't put it, take the veil off and worship and serve and, and love God with everything. Don't, don't, make sure that you stay free and don't get tired, tied up again in slavery to the law. Listen, I, Paul, tell you this. If you're counting on circumcision or church stuff, church rules, <clears throat> if you're counting on circumcision to make you right with God, then Christ will be no benefit to you. Now, this is not a church-created rule. This is a church rule, but God created it. And he's saying, if you think that that is what's going to bring this freedom, if you think that's what's going to make everything good, you've missed it. Circumcision was for a purpose, but it wasn't the point. The law is for the purpose, but it's not the point. The point is relationship. The point is connection with the Lord. For if you're trying to make yourselves right with God by keeping the law, you've been cut off from Christ. It's a strong statement. You mean obeying the Bible can cut me off from Christ? Yes. If you do not let the Holy Spirit ignite that word in you and give purpose and direction to it, it only reveals to you what death is. It only reveals to you what sin is. It doesn't forgive you of sin. It only shows you what's wrong. It doesn't make you right. And he's saying if you're trying to get there just by obeying the rules, you've missed the heartbeat behind the rules. You've missed the whole thing. You have fallen away from God's grace. That's a scripture you can use for people that think you can't ever fall away from God's grace, by the way. But we who live by the Spirit eagerly wait to receive by faith the righteousness God has promised us. We who live by the Spirit. I want the Holy Spirit to ignite His Word within me. I want His presence to pull me in close to His Word. For when we place our faith in Christ Jesus, there is no benefit in being circumcised or uncircumcised. What is important is faith expressing itself in love. Powerful sentence, huh? Faith expressing itself. Loving God, loving others in love. You guys that are going to do communion, begin to pass that out. And I want to, I want to mention some things to us here. Here's what we're going to be doing this year. We're going to be putting much emphasis on this. We've already got um, 
subjects on the calendar, a lot of things that we're trying to, to get to, to push us this direction. Here's our church um, mission, our mission statement of Church of Briargate. Church of Briargate exists to enable people, that's you and I, under the anointing of the Holy Spirit, that's a spiritual thing, to supernaturally, miraculously draw close to Jesus Christ and to bring as many others along as possible. That this is a spiritual endeavor, this is a spiritual journey, and that the Holy Spirit, the power of the universe, wants to reveal himself. And he wants to reveal himself to us and then through us to other people. That's why Moses' face glowed, because God was just showing off, just being amazing. And he wants to do that with every one of us here. And guys, this is what we're going to do. Church at Bargate, we're going to pursue God with everything about us. We're going to reach people. That's our tagline. That is the mission statement encapsulated. Pursuing God, reaching people. We're going to pursue God with everything about us, and we're going to reach people. And, we're getting, and we've got some ideas and some plans of how we're going to do that differently in different departments, different groups. In fact, we were, uh, Aiden and I and Paul were, were talking different times over the last few weeks about um, how the deaf community, how we can reach uh, the deaf community in Colorado Springs. Why? Because they need Jesus. The deaf community doesn't just need a place to go to church. If they're just going to church, it's no better than anybody else that's just going to church. The deaf community needs Jesus. So we've got some plans of how we're going to do that. Reaching, pursuing God, reaching people. So here's what we're doing. This year, we will pursue God. These three basic ways. We'll pursue the presence of God. We're going to get before God. His presence, not just, and, and we're going to put emphasis obviously on the word. You guys know me well enough. The Bible is the foundation of everything. I'm a, I'm a study rat. I, I love to just study the Bible, study the Bible. Guys, we need to pursue God. We need to get in. We're going to pursue the will of God too. What is God saying to you? He's got plans for you. He's got people he wants to minister to through you, and he wants to do it now. And then the, the third part of this is we're going to pursue the power of God. The power, the, the power, the supernatural, the power of God. Guys, we have got to have some breakthroughs. We need some miracles. We are desperate for God to do some things right now. We're desperate. And so we've got to pursue the power of God, the miracles of God, the supernaturalness of God. We're going to pursue that. The second thing is we will reach people. Taking the gospel to our communities, figuring out how to do that, figuring out how to help you do that in so many different ways, helping people find their personal direction in God. Every person that you work with has a, has a specific plan but that God has designed and a calling God has designed for them. You're going to help introduce them to Jesus so they can figure that out, right? And we're all going to be doing that together. And the third part is enabling people to journey with others toward the Lord. As we're, we're not going to journey for you, we're going to help you. I get this every now and then, and I don't mind this, by the way, but somebody will call me up and say, Pastor, I've been witnessing to my coworker. I'm going to have him over to the house Friday evening. Can you show up? What are they saying? I, I've, I've done some of it, but you need to close the deal. I, I don't really don't mind doing that because I'm not really the reason that the deal gets closed. It's all your work and your effort and your passion, your prayer and all this other stuff. Just, just We're going to help you figure out how to close the deal. Just introduce them, pray with them, do something. We're going to help you in your journey toward others, with others toward the Lord. We're going to help you with that.
Make sense? Okay, so this is how we're going to close this this morning. Is without the blood of Jesus Christ, all of this is irrelevant. It's moot. It's academic. We're just, we're just a good social gathering. It's the blood of Jesus Christ that makes us different. It's the blood of Jesus that forgives us and washes us. It's the blood of Jesus that should be the foundation and the direction of our existence. It's the blood of Jesus. Now, we're going to do this kind of individually, okay? I'm not going to, normally I'd read scripture and we'd go all together, that kind of thing. I'm going to pray for us. I'm going to pray for both of the, the aspects of this, the bread and the, and the uh, juice, the wine and scripture. Um, I'm going to pray for these. And then as I'm praying or however, there's no, this is between you and God. You take these two elements as you would like to, okay? As a kid growing up, I started doing this, and I still do this today. I can't get away from it, and, and I think it's good, by the way. But anytime I take communion, I always start with repentance. Lord, forgive me. Come straight out of 1 Corinthians 11. So I don't want to, the way I look at it, I don't want to be a part of communion unworthily, is the way 1 Corinthians 11 says, which means that you got sin, something else going on in your spirit, your life. So the first thing that I do is I repent. And I say, Lord, I need you to forgive me. I need you to cover me with your blood. And so that's what, that's what I'm going to start out by doing. I'm going to pray over both of these. I'm going to take them. Don't be like waiting for me. And then just you talk to God and you do this on your own. Okay. And after I'm done, I'm going to pray for us to be done, finished. And, and you can go, you can do whatever. But I would like you to spend a little bit of time. Take your time. Think through this. Process this. Because some of this is, God, I want to make some changes this year. I want to make some changes. Talk to him about this. Okay. I want to make some changes. So bow your heads with me. Lord, we, we come to you recognizing that you're the king and that you as the king gave your life for us. Lord, we need you. We need your presence. We need your spirit. Lord, right now, I pray for every one of us in here that we would be, that we would be hungry for you, that we would see your spirit as a necessity, the number one priority of our existence. God, I pray against I pray against the veil that we so easily put up. The resistance that we keep God at an arm's distance. God, I pray against that. Lord, I pray against pushing you away. God, I ask you to break down those strongholds. And Lord, help us as a church to be free. To walk in your spirit. To be hungry for your presence. To be needing to spend time with you. To be desirous of intimacy and relationship. God, help us to be desirous of your word too. Lord, help us not confuse spending time in your word with spending time with you. We need you. God, I thank you for the bread. I thank you for your body being broken, torn. Lord, and you specifically said it so that we could be physically healed. Lord, I believe also mentally, emotionally, and spiritually. Lord, you specifically said that we could be physically healed. God, I pray we need this here. We need this at Church at Fargate. We need your presence. We need your power. We need healing. So God, as we take this bread, we acknowledge that you're the one that's in charge, that you're the king. This is about you, your body being broken. On the cross, you provided our healing. Lord, on the cross, you also provided our our spiritual healing, our spiritual redemption, our salvation. Lord, you, through your blood, you provided this. 
Jesus. God, thank you for forgiveness. Thank you for your blood. Jesus, thank you for voluntarily taking this, this atrocity upon your physicalness. Jesus, we're moved by that. We're humbled by that. We thank you. Lord, I pray for Church of Briargate. These next few weeks, few months, I pray that walls will be broke down, the veil will be lifted, and we'll see your spirit. That we'll respond to grace, we'll respond to your word, we'll desire to walk in your power and your presence. take a little bit of time now and you can leave whenever you need to just take a little bit of time whatever you need to do and we'll see you Wednesday